0: Thank you for tuning into this webinar, How to Create a Board of Directors that Boosts Your Organization. This webinar is hosted by AGH University and presented by AGH Employer Solutions. AGH Employer Solutions is a team of professionals that helps employers, business owners, and human resource professionals hire, compensate, manage, engage, train, and retain one of their most critical resources, their talent. Today's speaker is Marjorie Engel. Marjorie is the Senior Vice President for AGH Employer Solutions Organizational Development and Family Business Services Group. Marjorie provides custom, personalized solutions in executive coaching, transition and succession planning, organizational analysis, and corporate strategy development. She's a specialist in assessing and developing family councils, advisory boards, and boards of directors, and provides services in conflict management, mediation, and development of communication skills. She has extensive experience with family-owned, closely held, not-for-profit, and both publicly held and public sector organizations throughout the United States. Do you have a board of directors that's making your organization better? If you answer no, you're not alone. Many organizations have stagnant or struggling boards that hinder more than they help. The key to an effective board starts with the right selection process, and the best boards are comprised of people who help fill critical gaps using their knowledge and skills to further the organization's goals and plans for future growth. Marjorie will provide some practical advice on the best ways to select and secure board members who will help propel your organization to where it needs to go in order to grow and thrive.
1: Well, I'm glad all of you could join us today. You know, it seems like in in almost over 20 years of visiting with many boards, I find that often the boards that I meet fail to add the value that they could be adding to the organizations they serve. And so today's objectives are targeted at getting at the heart of why that is. Uh, I can can think of many examples that would illustrate um, so many times that the value we'd like to get from our boards is not there. I'll give you one typical example. Uh, There was an organization that I was invited to visit. It was a privately held company. And it was a, a... Great organization an organization that if I mentioned the name of it most of you would know the organization and the directors as as they came in to the board meeting I was invited to visit they um, almost half of the board had flown in from all over the country the other directors were owners and managers of the organization and they came in the board meeting was convened and they sat down and they spent time reviewing the financials each department provided an update a few polite questions were asked and then we had lunch and I asked the president after the meeting if that was a valuable exercise and the response that it was that it was not so I had to ask the question why they were wasting their time and their money and you have to wonder what went wrong so when you look at today's objectives, to find what that relationship between the planning process and the board selection process should be to understand the right steps for identifying and engaging the right candidates to aim high and get strategic directors and to discover what the common mistakes are that organizations make when they fill their board positions uh, positions the objectives. Of today's program will really help us get at the heart of some of the key issues that are experienced by this organization and many others you know sometimes something as simple as the board's core roles are often not discussed or understood and just because a person knows how to be an executive or a CEO really doesn't mean they know how to be a director it's a completely different role so let's talk for just a minute about these core roles. Clearly, a director realizes they need to represent the shareholders or stakeholders, but do they think about representing them as a whole? And what does that mean? Do they understand and can they articulate the shareholders' expectations? Shareholders or stakeholders define how much risk are we willing to take. How much growth do we expect and want? What kind of return do we want? How much liquidity and capital um, structures? what, What should those look like? The board makes decisions with the health of the organization in mind. So representing the shareholders or stakeholders, they have to be able to articulate those expectations. Can they do that? when it comes to mission and purpose the initiatives of the organization need to be in alignment with the strategic direction direction and the board needs to protect that driver the taproot and the heartbeat of the organization how much time do they spend talking about that and how do they act at each board meeting and in between to make sure they're doing that what about the board's core responsibility in regard to the CEO the board really has one employee and they hire that person to run the organization so many times directors lose their way and they get down into weeds and they start getting into operations and so how are they exercising their responsibility in regard to the CEO when it comes to ensuring effective planning the board needs to ask themselves a number of questions is there an effective strategic planning process is that plan complete is it feasible is it funded will it meet the expectations of the stakeholders is it within acceptable risk how much time in your last board meeting was spent on those kinds of questions when it comes to monitoring performance, how much time does the board spend talking about accountability to performance against the strategic plan? Are we off plan? Are we on plan? Have we taken corrective measures or adjusted if we're not in alignment with the plan? Think about what recently happened with Volkswagen. It's been said in the media that that board there was not transparency with that board and there was not feedback to the board so risk management responsibilities are critical for a board of every kind of organization for-profit and not-for-profit and then to ensure legal and ethical integrity the first step is a director needs to understand the legal duties and responsibilities even when it's a volunteer board And it always surprises me when I sit down with a director or a a board of directors, how many times the directors are completely unaware of some of the critical legal and ethical responsibilities they have. So that's going to bring us to our first polling question. So we're going to open up the poll, and on this polling question, we'd like you to choose the answer that best describes your response of the question which of the following responsibilities will your board primarily be accountable for so go ahead and log your answer is it supporting the CEO and ensuring the strategic processes are there is it actually drafting the documents and plans? is it determining the return on investment and articulating what the expectations for growth are and defining the risk okay I think everybody has pretty much responded so we're going to go ahead and close the poll now and it looks like pretty much everybody um, got the point there 82 percent responded that it's to support the CEO and ensure the strategic processes that's exactly right now one one of those responses was a little bit tricky when it comes to determining the return on investment and growth expectations and defining risk that's the responsibility of the shareholders and it's the responsibility of the board then to make sure that strategic plans and documents will accomplish that return will achieve that growth and remain within those risk parameters so the board has a responsibility but it's the shareholders then that determine that risk question is does the board know what that is okay so let's move on then it seems like often as i mentioned directors are unaware of the fiduciary responsibilities of government governance and although this is a very basic issue the 3 d's of governance i feel like i would be derelict not to take a minute to at least mention them in the event of a legal action the standard to which any director will be held are these three D's of governance so let's talk briefly about what each one of them are the duty of care demonstrating the same level of diligence and skill in which a prudent person in a similar circumstance would reasonably exercise that's what it is so what does that mean what that means is A director would need to prove themselves knowledgeable they would need to show up at meetings they would need to make sure they reviewed the materials that were provided before the meeting so when they're in the meeting they could ask questions and participate in a not-for-profit organization there is a document called a 990 that has to be completed and a director would need to know what that 990 said and make sure they felt like it was accurate duty of care. What about duty of loyalty? Duty of loyalty says that a director acts in good faith in the interests of the organization and not a self-interest, which means they would need to avoid conflicts of interest or when a conflict of interest does arise that they were acting in accordance with the conflict of interest policy. So what does that mean you need to do? Well, you need to know there's a conflict of interest policy you need to know what the conflict of interest policy says and the fact is sometimes conflicts do arise so when that happens you need to make sure the board is absolutely aware of it you need to make that conflict known and then the board as a whole needs to act in accordance with that conflict of interest policy duty of loyalty the third one is duty of obedience, which basically means the board has to make sure the organization is operating according to its mission, its purpose, is operating legally and ethically according to regulation, law, bylaw, policy, and internal control. So many times I talk to directors and they don't know what the bylaws say. They're not aware of the three Ds of governance. They don't know if there are internal controls in place and what they are. And duty of obedience means that you act legally and ethically according to laws and bylaws and regulations. So being aware of them and making sure the board has the support they need um, in the way of advice uh, in order to be able to act in accordance with them. Now these are not just nice sounding common sense duties these are legal obligations and so many times I find that the board does not assist new directors in making sure they understand these three D's of governance. along with some of these basic things there's also some myths that I found in developing boards that are nice to address so let's talk a little bit about some of these myths number one sometimes I hear every organization needs a board but the fact is entrepreneurs sometimes don't need a board because they won't listen to it they're moving too fast organizations often hit a plateau around 40 to 80 employees and before that time an entrepreneur may be running too fast to even listen to a board that doesn't mean a board might not be valuable Family-owned businesses often find, what I've often seen is, when the second generation starts entering the business, the board becomes really critical for them at that time. You also don't need a board if the CEO is not receptive to feedback. Smaller companies may want to consider starting with an advisory board to kind of test out the idea of governance and feedback. Number two, sometimes I hear, well, we would lose control, but the fact is directors serve at the pleasure of shareholders. It takes as long to replace a director as it takes to convene a meeting of the shareholders. Number three, a board would create too much bureaucracy. Now remember, a board is not there to manage the company. They're there to deal with the long range, so it's important to understand the role. Of the board number four well, I wouldn't be able to get good directors now that could happen so it's important to understand what is a good process and I always encourage my clients to aim high so many people don't aim high enough and don't have a good process to get good directors number five a good board would be so expensive And my response to that is, so many times I've seen good directors pay for themselves tenfold. Some additional myths. It would waste too much time. If the board is meeting too often and is wasting your time, then the board is not focused on the right thing. So that goes back again to role. What is the board doing? Directors will sell for us. If you aim high and bring the right directors into your board, it's true they might open doors, but their role is not your sales force. Number uh, the the next one. My advisors don't recommend it, so that's always interesting when your advisors are telling you you don't need a board. Something to keep in mind is the role of the board is to help you assess your advisors. So if your advisors are discouraging you, from adding a a board you might ask yourself what the motive of your advisors are and the last one here is and I hear this sometimes from um, partnerships or from family owned businesses well we have a board meeting every day and again that goes back to the role of the board the role of the board is not to manage your company day to day every director is a strategy and you'll hear me say that again and again they should be bringing something to you that you don't have internally now remember I started out by saying that so many boards that I I meet initially don't add value so what are some of the pitfalls some of the pitfalls I see is the wrong structure many times privately held companies structure their boards after not-for-profits and the board ends up to be too big Or for not for profits, what I see is the committee structure isn't right. So if the structure is not right, the board won't work. Sometimes I see the wrong example. As I mentioned, not for profit and banking are boards that often um, privately held company owners sit on, and that's the wrong structure for a privately held company. So are we using the wrong examples to structure our board? No training. A business executive or owner is knighted a director, and knowing business is not the same as knowing governance. So how do we train directors as they come on the board? The wrong mix. If we've got the wrong talent, if we've got conflicts of interest, if we don't have a good group of independent directors, we're going to have the wrong mix. Sometimes it's just another management meeting your organization already has one management team. You certainly don't need two, two. So if I sit in on the board meeting and it looks the same as a management meeting, we talk about the same things as the management team, it sounds the same as the management meeting sound, then we're not doing it right and the board doesn't work. Some other things if the pre-meeting work isn't done if it's not provided if the pre-meeting information is not provided early enough if the meeting ends up being a review instead of forward-looking if we're not spending the right percent of time in the meeting talking about strategic things and we're spending the majority of meeting reviewing routine reports it's not going to work if it's not managed well if we have a weak chair If the role is not defined well if there's not good management of the process the board won't work if there's a lack of understanding of the responsibilities if the directors don't know what the bylaws say if there's a muddying of the role of the board versus the role of management who's on first the board won't work and if there's a lack of understanding of the regulatory environment either of the industry or the responsibility of governance we find weakness in the board so that takes us again to our next polling question and what I'd like you to do on this polling question is choose the most correct answer so let's open up the poll and please select your uh, most correct answer why do most boards fail to add value is it because board members don't understand responsibilities is it a lack of strategic focus in board discussions? is it because directors are not selected for their strategic fit is it because the board is poorly structured or do all of the above things weigh into the reasons that the board doesn't work Okay, I think we've got everybody's input. Let's go ahead and close the poll. And I think you've got the point. And I think there were two questions that were very similar. Most of you said all of the above, which is right. And a number of you said board members don't understand the responsibilities, which kind of is all of the above, isn't it? So I'm going to take both of those answers. So moving on, I thought maybe it would be helpful to understand Uh, what would be the right first step in developing your board? And I think the right first step is deciding what kind of board do I want? There's two different kinds of boards. There's statutory boards and advisory boards. But maybe you don't want a board at all. And if you're not going to take the input or the advice of a board, then you can stop right now. But if you think a board could add value, a statutory board is a legal board. It represents the shareholders or the stakeholders, and it it makes decisions in the interests of a whole organization. A statutory board is a fiduciary role, and because of that, it has more liability than advisory boards. They have to comply with those legal requirements and the articles of corporations and the bylaw will define bylaws will define how that board works and is structured they have a legal responsibility to hire and fire the CEO they have a legal responsibility to review and approve major corporate objectives and they're legally accountable for corporate conduct because of that an organization that has a statutory board will need to provide what's called D&O or directors and officers insurance that board then is going to need to because of that responsibility for corporate conduct they're going to need to monitor the financial structure the company performance company compliance risk management and make sure the internal controls are in place um, in order to provide the checks and balances needed for that risk management so statutory board is that legal board. Now an advisory board is a different kind of structure. The responsibilities of that advisory board would be defined in a contractual agreement. So how broad or narrow the scope of the advisory board's responsibilities are, are defined contractually. And they would work for whoever the con- contract says they would work for. Often it's the CEO. But because it's a contractual agreement, they have less liability for corporate conduct, and also because it's an advisory board, sometimes they're taken a little less seriously. And also because they don't have that accountability for corporate conduct by law, there's not the need for the director's and officer's insurance. I've seen a lot of organizations use an advisory board as a test drive on their path toward statutory board I, I often think though it's advisable to leverage this kind of group to assist in evaluating performance and financial structures and assisting the company in formalizing their internal controls so like I said it can be a great test drive but how can you take a good board and really move it toward becoming an exceptional board and so this is where my mantra comes in over and over exceptional boards choose directors well every director should be a strategy and frequently poor choices are made at this stage of the game so many times directors are chosen badly so who should be on your board There's obvious poor choices, like competitors or customers, but there's other less obvious poor choices that often end up on your list first. Most owners or CEOs start making a list. When you start talking about a board, I start getting names, and that really should be fourth or fifth on the list, or or excuse me, the fourth or fifth step you should make. And the first people that usually end up being on the list end up being poor choices like company managers. When you put company managers on your board, they have an inherent conflict of interest. Really, can a company manager hold their boss, the CEO, accountable? Can they be objective? And some board level conversations are not appropriate for company managers to participate in. What if the board is dealing with a personal action against an officer? a peer manager? What if the board is dealing with lack of performance on the part of the CEO? What if they're entertaining a cell of the company? Company managers can be invited to attend any part of the board meeting based on agenda topics, so why are we putting them in a board seat? Another poor choice is paid advisors. Paid advisors are already being paid for their services. They are already available to you. Why are you paying them twice by putting them on your board? The board's role is to evaluate your advisors, and so it also creates an inherent conflict of interest. Paid advisors can be invited to any part of the board meeting based on the agenda, and they can add value in that way. Another poor choice is someone who's already serving on so many boards that with the uh, increased demands of time and attention that governance requires that they do not have enough time to give you the time and attention you need. And really a sitting executive or a sitting CEO cannot sit on many, many boards and give them what they need. So part of the screening interview process should determine whether or not your potential directors are sitting on too many boards boards and I always would recommend avoiding reciprocal directorships you sit on my board and I'll sit on yours retired CEOs can be a source but really how many years has this retired CEO or executive been retired are they still active in the business community I'll never forget one board I was working with and there was a director on that board who got picked up from the nursing home for every board meeting and that was the only activity outside of the nursing home he had he was one of dad's buddies that had been on the board for a long time and I understand the loyalty to this this individual but the problem was this was a highly regulated business that had a lot of risk associated with it and how about friends? You may have friends that are great business people, but friends are hard to ask off your board. Take your friends to lunch. They'll tell you anything you want to know. So it kind of begs the question, who should be on your board? CEOs and entrepreneurs from risk or risk taking peers from companies that are larger than your company that have survived hurdles, you still have to face, can be great options executives of larger successful companies are becoming more and more a trend that that i'm seeing especially helpful for specific expertise experts in a specific field when it's a technical need that have a specific strategic expertise remember every director should be a strategy i've seen organizations that needed assistance for their strategy uh, execution in supply chain or opening international business markets or acquisition growth and integration that, that needed IT innovation strategies or new product growth strategies that were able to find experts in a specific field that was strategically significant to their organization and that's when those recently retired CEOs and executives can come in handy You know, the vetting process is probably a whole webinar in itself, but some examples of types of screening questions I've used that have proven to be helpful. I like to ask, do you have a functioning board and has it benefited you? You know, if they've been on the other side of the table, they may have more insight as to what's helpful and what's not in adding true value. I like to ask what's your opinion of our organization it reveals one if they know you and if not what effort and ability have they put forth to obtain insightful information about your organization what's their interest in your organization and your industry what's their critical thinking ability in trying to understand you before they come to an interview um, for a board candidate why would you want to serve you know, you don't want directors who are there for ego or a resume builder. There are good reasons and bad reasons to serve on a board. Asking them how many boards they currently serve on and what's been their experiences with boards, what role they served on those boards, what positive and less than positive governance experiences they've had. The roles they've had, whether they're not-for-profit or for-profit, will indicate and and how many boards they serve on will indicate if they have time for you how they've handled poor governance experiences their philosophies on governance and how they interact with other directors and management it it gives you a lot of insight and there's things I consider too. do they ask good questions do they want to know why they were selected as a potential candidate for your board and it's going to give you, as, they, as you consider what kind of questions they ask you, it's going to give you a preview as to how they will add value to your board or not. The other thing I always tell my clients is trust your gut. You need to be able to be vulnerable with your board. You need to be able to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. So if your gut is telling you this is not the right fit, move on So, how do you find good candidates remember I said most people start with the fourth or fifth step they start completely in the wrong place so let's talk about where you should start this is this is kind of a schematic of, of the steps of a process don't start with names it's the number one mistake that I think results in why most boards are ineffective because they're just structured badly, both profit and not for profit. So number one, the top left hand corner, commit. Are you ready? Are you ready for a board and what kind of board you want? If so, if you've decided, yep, I want this, then number two, let's do a little preliminary work. Let's create a board outline document. John Ward in his book, Creating Effective Boards for Private Enterprises, calls this a board prospectus. So what is this document? This is a tool that helps the business leader define in a short document the purpose and goals of the board. What qualities are needed from the board? Why are we doing this now? What should the structure of the board look like? Creating this document helps crystallize what is needed, and the document itself is a valuable tool in explaining to others what, it, what is needed. In just a few short pages, it describes your company, the ownership, the management structure, your strategy, your market, your industry, and so in about two to three pages, you have a tool. And this tool is going to be something that's going to help you through the process. It takes you to step number three, which is a strategic needs matrix. As part of this board outline, you're going to develop a list list of strategic expertise that you need on the board to accomplish your future future strategic goals. And this list can be used as part of a matrix to assist in describing and vetting potential candidates you can ID who can bring the most valuable strategic contribution that then takes you to number four on the right-hand middle column centers of influence COI you've heard the theory six degrees of separation it's the theory that everyone and everything is six or fewer steps away by way of introduction from any other person in the world so one of the best ways to network for board, board candidates is to ask for suggestions from customers, suppliers, vendors, bankers, lawyers, accountants, consultants, you know all those people you left, all the people you left off your list. So a letter, an email, a call along with the board outline document is going to result in the list of potential strategic candidates because we are aiming high did you notice it's not until the fourth step that we got to the list but this list has been created based on strategic expertise now you have something in your board outline document to approach these high level candidates with strategic competencies and instead of walking up to a candidate and saying hey would you like to be on my board you can walk up to these candidates with a document that you can say you know here's you know you've been identified by this person as a potential candidate for my board and I'd like to talk to you about a possible fit. here's some information about our organization I'd like you to look at now if if I'm a really high-quality candidate I'm going to be much more impressed by your organization then we get to That strategic needs matrix as a filter against which which you can vet possible candidates and identify who you want on your board. So once you've vetted candidates, you've talked to them, and that's a like I said a whole nother process. Then you can initiate your board meetings, but it doesn't stop there. The bottom middle box, you need to continue to assess, educate, and renew your board. Because your board, just as strategy is dynamic, your board should be also. So there's my process that I would suggest. So that takes us to our next polling question. On this one, I'd like you again to choose the answer that you think best describes your response. What type of board does your organization have today? No active board, an advisory board, a statutory board, both. Or something else it just doesn't apply so I'm going to ask everyone to participate and it looks like um, we're still responding some people aren't sure cuz we're switching around here a little bit okay good all right so we're going to close the poll and we've got a a bit of a mix here we've got some we got 18 percent that don't have a board We've got 18% that have an advisory board, uh, 9% have a statutory board, and 27% have both. So hopefully we've got some good information for ongoing development of your board. We've got 27% that it's not applicable, so they've got some other kind of structure going on. Well, that's kind of interesting. Okay, so one of the things that we talked about is as a potential pitfall is if the structure of your board isn't um, effective so let's talk a little bit about the best structure what are some of the things you can look at when you're looking at board structure so one of the things I look at is five and again we're going to look at both for-profit and not-for-profit in a for-profit company sometimes I see organizations let their board just get too big because they're thinking not-for-profit in a for-profit company five to nine directors is large enough for most organizations when it gets bigger than that it begins to get ineffective now I realize that not-for-profit organizations will often be larger than that because they're structured for a different purpose which we'll talk about in a little bit so in a not-for-profit company the committee structure often becomes really important you have to use your committees effectively um, and so in a not-for-profit the the committee uh, the number of committees will be more in a for-profit company when it comes to committees less is more so in for-profit companies if there's not a reason to have a committee then um, I would challenge you to not create too many committees when it comes to meetings one question I get asked a lot is how many meetings should the board be having if you're having meetings less than quarterly there's a tendency to always be catching up and it's hard to buy out enough time to be strategic Um, if you're having meetings monthly or more often than quarterly there's a tendency to get down into the weeds so when you're talking about your regularly scheduled meetings, quarterly is a nice rule of thumb. Now there's exceptions to that. The exceptions may be if there's something significant happening, um, acquisition, a merger, a, 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 some sort of special project. Um, Or if it's a highly regulated industry banking is a good example Uh, they have so many regulatory issues to deal with that sometimes they'll have more frequent meetings because they have to deal with regulatory issues a retreat Um, I always recommend that a board consider an annual retreat because it allows for a review of the strategy It allows for a review of board performance. It allows for board development opportunities. And when you just have your regularly scheduled meetings, those are the kinds of things that get overlooked. So that retreat is an opportunity to make sure you're taking care of some of those high-level things. Independent meetings. So what does that mean? What I'm talking about there is there's... Uh, to have on your agenda some time for meetings of the independent directors outside of the rest of the group and that can be really effective to allow them to have candid discussions and then bring the CEO in to allow for some candid discussions with the CEO without the presence of the directors that are not independent that always adds a flavor and it's hard for me sometimes to convince boards to do that but every time they do and every time they implement that it always adds a a good flavor and it always is very helpful for for the CEO to get some good candid feedback limits in order for the board to have uh, effective turnover and succession um, limits can be helpful it allows for uh, addressing succession, um, but I always recommend that those terms uh, be staggered to allow for overlap of tribal knowledge and the carrying on of the historic uh, support to the to the uh, uh, ongoing knowledge of the board. Evaluation, is there one? the board would expect the organization to be evaluating itself so why would the board not be evaluating the board is the evaluation of the board effective are we using the right kind of evaluation for the board based on where the board is and and what i mean by that is what i've seen to be effective when we have a lot of new board members is to have more of a rated type of evaluation because it helps remind the directors here's what your responsibilities are. Are you taking care of all of these and where are you at? Um, and then I see the trend going to more of an interview process with dialogue on the um, comp- compiled interview responses. There's more meat in those. so if it's a more mature board, those usually work better after a period of time. If you continue using a rated, type evaluation all the time what happens is after a period of time if it's a one to five scale everything's always a four or four and a half if it's a one to ten scale everything's always a seven or eight after a period of time so it always um, tends to after the first few rated evaluations tends to gravitate up toward the upper end of the scale and stay there strategy is the board involved in strategy at a governance level? The board's role is to review the strategy, make sure there's a process, test the strategy that's been presented. In a not-for-profit, sometimes what I see the board overlook is, is that strategy funded? They come up with a lot of really great ideas, and then they don't fund them. Um, it's helpful in the process for the board to provide input up front. And then to make sure they're asking good questions all along the way when it comes to implementation um, are we meeting goals along the way and and making sure that its management's role to create that plan that will meet the shareholders goals independence my recommendation is that at least uh, a little more than half half or more of the directors should be independent that means not owners not managers um, but independent directors diversity and what I'm talking about here is the right expertise and I'll give you an example uh, working with an organization that was a uh, beauty products and the board was all men now last time I checked most men didn't put on a lot of makeup before they left for work in the morning and so you have to question: Is that the right expertise for that board to be completely made up of? And so the right diverse expertise for the strategic um, needs of the organization, and then financial expertise. Uh, I was doing board training a couple of weeks ago, and it was very. It, there was a, a difference of opinion between based on an organizational analysis between the organization the CEO and half the board on whether that organization was in financial trouble or not so is the board literate financially and particularly your audit and finance committees you know do they have the right financial expertise and does the board as a whole have the ability to understand the financial the financials and the metrics of the organization so some structure questions are there some places your structure could be improved so that takes us to our next polling question. We're going to open this poll and I would invite you to answer all questions that apply on this one. And the question I would ask you is what type of board evalu- evaluations has your organization tried? Have you tried a rated survey that you've administered yourself or have a, have a, a third party administer? Have you tried an interview process that's been conducted internally? Have you tried a third party interview process? Have you just tried open discussions? Let's just all talk and see how we're doing. Have you tried
0: a retreat? So let's see how we're doing.
1: Okay, so we're gonna close the poll and it looks like um. The majority of folks have just tried an open discussion or a retreat discussion. We've got about 30% that have done a rated survey and 30% that it doesn't apply. And and, and 0% have done third-party interviews. And I find this really interesting because I will tell you the most effective tool you can use is third-party interviews. They're more candid, you get more meat, and then you have a facilitated process of someone providing those those compiled responses back to the organization and facilitating a dialogue that then you have actual outcomes that come out of it. So I find that a really interesting response. Uh, I think, that, as I said earlier, the rated interviews can be effective. And the first second and third year you do those what you'll find is um, a few of the ratings will have highs and a few of the ratings will have lows but in my observations after a period of several years those areas that were low will come up and then and maybe that's been your experience too as you've done those you'll have all of them coming up to the upper third quartile or the lower fourth quartile and then they all kind of stay there. And so it's really helpful to change your evaluation process every, I'd say, two or three years. Change it up, do something different so you get some real meat from that evaluation process. So that's interesting. Okay, now I I noticed um, from our sign-up sheet that we have a number of participants today that are in the not-for-profit arena. And I've tried to differentiate as we go along some of the information between profit and not-for-profit, but I thought it might be helpful to highlight some of the key differences. Now, this clearly is not an all-inclusive list, but not-for-profit organizations do differ because of their societal mission. Without a mission, there's no purpose. And not-for-profits have two major themes of governance. One, Define the mission and measure performance against it, and two, ensure financial solvency. <laughs> so, two important things to remember. And that's really different because you're not looking to public public equity markets, um, but rather public philanthropy is the primary source of funding. So, directors on a board, their role is often involved in philanthropy, and and you hear the saying, "Give, get, or get off." And it frustrates oftentimes the CEOs of not-for-profits when they have directors that don't recognize their obligation to be involved in that philanthropy. Also, the accounting processes and metrics are different for -for not-for-profits. Sometimes staff are not available and you may have volunteers that are managing the organization. And the board on a not-for-profit may be large, 30, 40, or even larger, because they're there to bring money to the table, but governance is also critical. All of those factors result in the need for committees to get work done. So to make sure fiscal, fiduciary, and strategic responsibilities are cared for, committees are necessary to get that work done. So many of the governance responsibilities I've been talking about can be similar for -for not-for-profit and for-profit, but the dynamics to get there are very, very different. So hopefully that can be helpful. So you may wonder what happened to the company that I described at the beginning of the webinar, the one that flew in half of its directors from all over the country only to spend the board meeting reviewing routine reports. Uh, the board has been in place since the founder, or that board had been in place since the founder started that company, and most of them were really friends of the first generation president. That was about 10 years ago. The now third generation CEO decided it would be valuable for the board to take a different approach. And so we started out by having some really frank discussions about what an exceptional board looks like and what the CEO needed from the board. We did some training for the current board at that time. And they were all really bright, talented business owners in their own right. But based on the strategic initiatives of the company that that they identified, and the strategic expertise at the board level that was needed to complement the abilities of the CEO, they started on a path of board recruitment. And over the next few years, the makeup of, the, of that board changed significantly. The majority became independent directors when previously it had been a, a little less than majority. And we'd have a, a lot of owners and company managers on the board and over the next 10 years that company more than tripled in size. they weathered a significant downturn in the industry and during that time they integrated several acquisitions they really were very nimble today they're doing incredibly well and the board continues to hold an annual retreat to evaluate their performance and review the strategic needs of the organization so no more routine reports polite questions and lunch for them and I think the key takeaway every director every director should be a strategy so my challenge to you is what are your critical
0: next steps for exceptional governance Marjorie the first question that came in was pretty early on in the webinar and it asked whose responsibility is it to create a board of directors is it the owners or the CEO Um,
1: that's a great question and and we have to clarify what kind of organization we're talking about if we're talking about a privately held company Um, It's going to be the owner's responsibility to create a board. Now, your bylaws will outline, your Articles of Incorporation and your bylaws will outline how that uh, is going to happen and how the shareholders will go about voting for the board. Um, It's not unusual for there to be a process where the board has input into that. And um, are we still connected? Um, and so um, you always want to look to your bylaws, um, but in a privately held company, the shareholders uh, develop that. In a not-for-profit, again, you got to look at your bylaws, and your bylaws will outline how you're going to create your board. But in a not-for-profit, a lot of times the, the board itself will have a committee that assists in uh, recruiting and nominating uh, the board or, or new directors to the board.
0: All right, the next question that we had come in was, how do I know when I should begin cre- uh, considering to create a board?
1: Um, if this is a privately held company and so there's a lot of what ifs, it's helpful to know what the structure of the organization is. And um, if you're a startup, it's always helpful to have advisors and, and so I'd probably go with an advisory board. I think anytime you think the outside advisors would be helpful. Um, then it's worth talking about, and then the question becomes: Is it that statutory or advisory board? Um, if your organization is starting to develop critical mass and you feel like to accomplish your your strategic uh, initiatives, when you start thinking, "What do I need to help me get there?" Then it's a good time to start thinking about creating a board. Um, if if you're a family-owned business and you're starting to your next generation is starting to get to the next level, uh, or your next generation is starting you're starting to think about you know uh, are they are bringing them into the business? Um, if you're hitting about 80 employees, um, if you're thinking about a significant strategic activity. If you're looking at branching out, if your management team is starting to grow beyond that one-person team, I think any any kind of strategic crossroads, it's a good time to have strategic expertise.
0: All right, and as we near the top of the hour, here we have time for one last question. It's who evaluates the board: is it the directors themselves, the CEO, or the owners?
1: Um, it. In most evaluation processes I see, the board sets up a self-evaluation. Initially, it's funny because you have these high-level executives that are serving to add value to the board, and they get really goosey (laughs) about evaluating themselves. Uh, A good process obtains input for the board from The board itself and from the CEO often participates in that. Um, And I think that's a good place to start because most boards get uh, anxious about it. Um, Once the board gets used to that process of of a board self-evaluation, then it's helpful for the board to uh, provide individual directors feedback. From the board but typically what most often happens is the board um, does a self evaluation
0: all right that looks like it's going to do it for us today again thank you for attending we hope you have a great rest of your day